You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here today. You, you weathered the storm. Everybody got a little cabin fever yesterday, so uh, it's good to uh, have you here. I know we're combining our three services into two. Uh, we're going to be reminded today why we have three services, apparently. So that is a good thing. We're glad that you guys are here. And if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Um, we're in a series that we're actually concluding today, and I'm really, really excited about this day. This has been a day we've prayed for for a really, really long time. But if you're new or, or just to kind of recap where we've been, uh, we uh, have a lot of people who are emotionally spent today because they are financially spent. And uh, a lot of times when we come off the, the holidays and Christmas especially, we kind of realize that we spent way too much money and, and we're kind of faced again at the new year with this realization that we have way too much debt and, and our spending is out of control. And so we just feel exhausted. We feel spent. And so we spent the last three weeks, today is week four, talking about how we can give God control of our resources. How do we make him the Lord of our life in every area of our life, especially in the area of our money? And so we started week one with the idea that God owns everything. He owns everything. And so that makes us a manager. And so it also makes us accountable. We'll, we, we have to, to understand what stewardship looks like. And, and stewardship is just this idea of managing what God has given to us. And, and so we're gonna be held accountable for the manner in which that we actually um, manage God's money. And so it's, and it's invaluable that we understand the biblical concept of what it looks like to be a manager. The second week, uh, we said that all you have is not all for you. And so the concept there was that um, if we're just busy building bigger barns, and Jesus told a story, a parable about a guy who built, uh, he had so much stuff, he, he had to build bigger barns to store all of his stuff in. And, and the idea is God wants us to invest. Investing is not bad. Investing is good. But Jesus's point is make wise investments. Invest in eternity. Don't invest just in yourself. And then last week, we went really, really practical. I gave you some, some biblical principles on how to um, uh, use and manage your money in a really practical way. And so, so we looked at scripture and we saw that God, uh, first of all, ask us to give at least 10% of our income to him. So the first 10% goes to God. The second 10% goes to our savings account. And if you're in debt, that 10% or even more, as much as you can afford, attacks your debt. You're selling stuff so that you can get rid of credit card debt and you can stop working for credit card companies and you can start really truly working for the Lord and for your family. And so the first 10% goes to God. The next 10% goes to yourself. You automate everything to take your temptation away from, from, from doing things that you shouldn't. You automate it so your money is working. It's, it's stress-free. You've told your money where to go. You're working the process. And it's so much easier to actually live your life financially when you automate it. And then you live off the remaining 80%. The idea that we discussed is that God is interested in the percentage, not the amount. God is more interested in the percentage, not the amount. And we looked at a story where Jesus saw uh, wealthy people dropping in um, large amounts of money into the offering basket. And then uh, another woman came up. She was a widow. And Jesus noticed what she gave. It was much less. It was, it was the equivalent of a penny in our day and time. And Jesus said she gave more than anyone else in this room 
And the idea is that she gave it all. Her percentage was higher than anyone else who gave even large amounts of money. So the point is, Jesus is interested in the percentage, not the amount. And so it's helpful for us as stewards, as managers, to understand this principle. Um, We also uh, last week shared that today uh, the big challenge is what we call the 90-day challenge. And so the 90-day challenge that I'm going to close with today is the challenge for everyone in the room to give at least 10% to God for 90 days. And then at the end of that 90 days, if you don't feel like God has come through on his promises, if you don't feel like he's provided for your needs, he hasn't blessed you, he hasn't hasn't fulfilled what he said he would do, then we will give everything back to you, no questions asked. And so this is across the board, I'm asking everybody to take this challenge today. And not only for that 90 days, but I full-heartedly believe that at the end of that 90 days, as you are giving faithfully, you are gonna experience uh, the presence of God like never before. If you've never done this, God is about to bless you in incredible ways. Today we're gonna end with this thought. You ready? Life is beyond you, not about you. Life is beyond you, not about you. I wanted to close with that mentality, with that knowledge, because if you can begin to live your life as if life is truly beyond you, then giving to God financially is not that big a deal. You realize that life really is beyond you. You really realize that investing into the kingdom of God is valuable, it is important, and you're not living as if life is just about you. Now, a lot of people in the room, unfortunately, are living as if life is about them because all of their income goes to them. All of their income goes to their specific needs and their specific wants, and there's no margin there. There's no commitment there to give to God. That's an unfaithful manager. And I want to help you experience life to the fullest. I want to help you experience a deeper walk with Jesus by stepping out into the deeper waters as we just sung and giving God control of your finances. You know, in my life, I, I've done my fair share of funerals. I, I've done many. And in and, and my first church, our church was actually across the street uh, from the funeral home. And so I used to get calls left and right to come and do funerals. And so, um, you know, I've done uh, all kinds. I've done some that are really, really sad, you know, where there is an older person and like two people show up for the funeral and, and even those two people don't really know the person, they don't know their spiritual life and it's just really, really sad. I've been to some funerals where the person that has passed away um, is celebrated and it, it's so it's more like a worship experience, not, not a funeral. People celebrate their life, they're singing, there's joy because this person is in heaven and because this person gave so much of themselves uh, during their life. And so I, I, I've seen extremes and I've seen everything in between. And, and here's what I have discovered in my experience doing uh, uh, my fair share of funerals over the last 16 years, and that is this, no one, Not a pastor, not a friend, not a family member has ever gotten up at a funeral and celebrated wealth. No one has ever gotten up to talk about the person who who has died and said, well, you know, so-and-so had so much money, it really was incredible to see how many houses they really had and to see all those cool cars they had. And man, he was just loaded. and, And wasn't that awesome to see how loaded he was? I've never, ever heard that at a funeral. Why? We don't celebrate wealth. We celebrate generosity. 
And so what you hear at funerals are, are, are things like this. So-and-so was dedicated to his family. He gave time to his family. He gave everything that he had to his children. He gave everything. He gave faithfully to his church. He gave of his time to his church. He served the church. He gave of his time to serve his community. And on and on and on, you've experienced this as well. You've been to some funerals that are sad. You've been to some funerals that are more like a celebration. And so the idea for us is to wrap our minds around this huge, huge concept today, that life is beyond you. It's not about you. And if that is true, then everything that we do with our money has to be most definitely governed by biblical principles. We have to get around this idea that life isn't about us. It's beyond us. And when we begin to do that, we begin to grasp the concept that Jesus tells us when he says to store up treasures in heaven. He says, store up in eternity. Life is beyond you. You're gonna be held accountable for this. And so it's, it's valuable. It, it, it's, it's crucial that we get this understanding as believers today. And so I wanna turn today and close out with one verse, actually. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse two. One verse is gonna set the stage and tell us all we need to know to kind of close out this series. And I, I, I believe it's a great way for us to really dive into one single verse and to see the truth that God has for us today. So if you've got your Bibles, if you don't, it's on the screen. I hope you have your Bibles. Verse two says this, Paul says to the Corinthian church, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. That one verse is enough for us today. Let's dissect it a little bit. Paul is saying to the church to set aside some money and that he's gonna come and he's gonna take this collection. He's, his, his intention is to take it to the church in Jerusalem because there's been a famine and they're gonna provide financially for this church. And so, so if life is truly beyond you and it's not about you, then there are at least three characteristics that we learn from this one verse that you and I need to accept and begin to practice in our life with Jesus. And the first characteristic is this. It ought to be a regular gift. It ought to be regular. Look again at verse two. At the very beginning, the first phrase says, on the first day of the week. Now, on the first day of the week is actually the first day of the week. You know, back then, it's the same day uh, today, which is Sunday. On the first day of the week, the early church met to worship. They gathered on that day uh, because Jesus rose on Sunday. And so they thought, hey, let's, let's begin to gather today for teaching, for worship, for prayer, for fellowship on, on the first day of the week. Get our week started off right. Jesus rose on a Sunday. This is a great time to gather. And so that's when they did it. And so Paul says, I want you to give on the first day of the week. I want you to give regularly. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody in this room has to take away the principle that every single week we need to give something. The point and the idea for Paul here is that it is regular. That might mean every other week. That might mean once a month. If you're seriously disciplined, that might mean once a quarter. For the most part, people will give once a week or once a month. But you determine that it is a regular gift. So you think about it and you say, okay, we are going to make this systematic. We're not gonna be sporadic. We're gonna give at this time every week or every month. Now, a lot of people give sporadically. If they feel like giving, then they give. If they don't feel like giving, then they don't give. If they come to church, they might give. Problem is, they don't come to church very often. And so for us to take this next step of faith, to, to grow in our maturity and in our walk with Christ, then we need to begin to make a decision that our gift is going to be regular. 
Secondly, he says that it ought to be planned. Look at the verse again. He says you should, you should set aside a sum of money. If you and I are going to set aside a sum of money, that means we've got to think about it. We've got to plan it. We can't just be sporadic. We can't just give based on emotions. You know, a lot of people are going to go eat lunch today, and they're going to give 15%, 18% to their server. And, and basically, they're going to give more of a percentage to their server than they will to God. You see, this is an unfaithful uh, uh, example of what biblical stewardship should not be. And so it ought to be planned. Now, now here's the reality. There, there are at least three reasons why people do not plan to give. There, there are three reasons people aren't giving to God today. And the first reason is this. They don't want to give. <laughs> Let's just be honest. There are some people in the room, you don't want to give to the church. You don't want to give to God. So this is a trust issue. The trust issue is, I don't know if, if God is going to come through. I don't know how I'm going to make you know, have all this fun stuff that I think is fulfilling me, if I begin to give to God, I won't be able to do this and do that. And so therefore, I won't be as happy if I give to God. And so, so they don't trust God and, and, and they don't wanna give. And so maybe they don't understand what the Bible says. Maybe they don't really uh, believe in what the Bible says. Maybe they really are focused on themselves and, and they don't wanna give to anyone else other than themselves because they just wanna live their life and make it about them. Maybe you aren't giving because you've, overextended yourself financially. And so you've got so much debt that now all of your debt is like, like hovering over you and you're trying to you know, make up by, by paying on that and this huge weight is upon your shoulders because of that. And, and because of that, you're not giving to God. Maybe you don't wanna give because you don't view it as an investment. You don't see it as an investment that's actually gonna be the best return on your money than any stock portfolio that you could come up with or think about or find in our culture today. So some people in the room just simply don't want to give to God. Now, I don't believe that is very many people in this room. I believe for the most part, people in this room want to give to God. Um, they, they strive to give to God. Your heart knows that that is the right thing to do, but you just haven't done the second thing that keeps most people from giving to God, and that is to have a plan. So the second thing that holds many people back from giving to God is, is they just simply don't have a plan to give. Now, this is an understanding issue. And so they don't understand how to plan. They don't understand how to put God first. They don't understand how to sit back and honor God with their wealth. Now, does it ever cross your mind to not pay your electric bill? Does it ever cross your mind, eh, I don't think we'll pay that electric bill this week. You got it in the mail about a week or so ago from MUB, and you didn't look at that and think, you know what, I'm not going to give this year. I'm not going to give this month. Of, of course that doesn't cross your mind. Why? Immediate consequences. The immediate consequences that MUB will give to you is that you won't have any lights. It's very cold outside, right? 20 degrees this morning or below 20 degrees in teens. If you don't pay your electric bill, no heat, very cold, no lights, I don't know, some of you can't cook if that were to happen. So the circumstances would dictate that if I do not pay my bill, immediately there are consequences. Now, when it comes to giving to God, a lot of people don't realize that there are immediate consequences. We don't see them all the time. We see them pretty quickly if we don't pay our bills. Your cell phone is cut off if you don't pay that bill. You know, your, your, your lights are turned off if you don't pay your electric bill. But when we don't give to God, there's no tangible, uh, oftentimes, immediate consequences. 
But just because you can't see them or just because your brain hasn't connected them and spiritually you're blinded to them, that doesn't mean that God isn't disciplining you today. In fact, your bad luck or your whatever you're calling it today could possibly be God's discipline in your life and not just random uh, you know, uh, events in your life. This is important for us to realize. Why is it that we think honoring God with our money can be neglected without any consequences? It's just simply not the case. You've gotta get a plan. You've gotta create the plan. You've gotta work the plan. You've gotta be smart about this. You need to be a good manager and a good steward of the money that God has given to you. The third reason that people don't usually give to God is that they haven't taken time to create a plan. So this is a discipline issue. You know, the, the discipline of sitting down and looking at your income and looking at your expenses, the discipline of actually looking at your credit card bill. You'd be amazed at how many people just don't even look at their credit card bill. They don't look at where the money's going. They just see the bottom number, this is what I owe. And so, you know, we're gonna pay the minimum again And we don't even look at our statements. We don't even look at where the money is going. We just look at the bottom number. Folks, that is not good stewardship. You gotta take the time and and discipline yourself to come up with a plan. If you don't have a plan, you'll save too little, you'll spend too much, and you'll give whatever is left. And the problem is, there's not anything left. Listen, when you have guests over to your house, you're gonna have a dinner you invite some, some, some guests over. Five minutes before they come over, you're not diving into the fridge, looking in there and seeing what's left in there, right? You're not opening the fridge and thinking, man, honey, <clears throat> looks like we got some leftover meatloaf in here. Smell this milk. Does that smell too bad to you? I think we can serve that tonight. And, and, and you're not inviting guests over and, and serving them leftover meatloaf. Why is it that we think, you know, we would never serve guests leftovers? And yet many people in the room give leftovers to God every single week. You see, that's bad stewardship. We're accountable. And we want to be wise about this. We, we realize there are consequences to our, our, our unbelief. There are consequences to our behavior. And God wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. And so when you make a plan, you should have a savings plan. You should have a giving plan. And you should have a budget plan, Right? So this is very basic stuff here. You know, we should have a savings plan. We should have a, a giving plan. We should have a budget plan. And, and making a plan is, is a huge, huge responsibility that as believers we need to create. We need to take time to do this. The, the third characteristic of our giving, he says again in this same verse, he says, in keeping with his income. So set aside a sum of money And then he says, in keeping with his income. So the third characteristic is it ought to be a percentage. It ought to be proportional. In keeping with your income. If God has blessed you with a lot, then you should give more. Has your income increased and your your giving has, has, has stayed the same or gone down? He says, no, it should be a percentage. It should be proportional. It ought to be a percentage. And I think that's what we, we looked at last week in Malachi chapter three. Some of you weren't here. You should go back and read that. But very clearly in Malachi chapter three in the Old Testament, God again gives this principle of tithing, of, of giving 10%. God says, will a man rob God? And he says, no, you are robbing me. And the, and the question is, God, how have we robbed you? And God says in Malachi three, in your tithes and contributions, 
And then in verse 10, he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. You see, God says, I want you to give a tithe. I want you to start with this 10%. Give that. And if you give that, I'm going to open the floodgates of heaven. I'm going to pour out a blessing upon you until there is no more need. What a powerful promise. The promise is not that you're going to get that million dollar home that you dreamed of or you're not going to win the lottery. The promise is that there will be no more need. The, the problem in the room today is so many people think the answer to their problem is more money. More money. If I just had more money, that would resolve my needs. But the reality is more money is not going to solve your problems. More money is just going to give you more opportunity to, to misbehave and to spend flippantly. You see, the issue for us is our heart. The issue for us is our stewardship. And as we look at God's word, we see here that, that we don't wanna invest in our earthly home. We wanna invest in our eternal home. And so we put God first in our resources. A lot of people believe that more money is just gonna solve their problems. But the reality is millionaires in our culture today, multi-millionaires have more needs in their life than many of us in this room today. They stress about it, they're worried about it. Why? Because they don't have what you and I have in Jesus Christ who provides for all of our needs. And that faith and that trust in him to carry us through every and any situation. A lot of people believe more money is gonna make them more successful. If I was getting more money, then I'd feel appreciated. I'd feel more successful. If I had more money, I'd be happy. If I had more money, I'd have this void in my heart filled. Well, guess what? Not true. And, and, and you know what's interesting? If you read financial books, secular financial books, you're gonna see this same principle taught all throughout these books. It's very interesting. I was just reading this last month a book by Robert Kurosaki, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, really interesting book. This was laced all throughout his book. Like more money is not the answer. It's how we manage the money that we have. And so for us, we have to realize it ought to be a percentage. I think 10% is the starting point. I think this is where the Old Testament teaches us that it is proportional. This is our starting point. But he says here, to give in keeping with your income. The ESV translation translates that phrase, as he may prosper. So we give as we prosper. In other words, as God has prospered you, as you have been blessed by God, then we create and understand the proportion that we should give to him. So we start at 10, that's the floor we stand on. It's not the ceiling that we look to, it's the floor we stand on. And then we, as, as we are prospered, as we grow, we seek to give more. Now, some people look at that and say, well, I serve you know, on Sundays and that's my tithe to the church. I give my time and I serve. Well, that is great stewardship of your time. That is poor stewardship of your money. Wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is gonna be. So in other words, whatever you're passionate about, that's what you're gonna invest into. And so that's why Jesus wants us to put the kingdom of God serving him first. I've heard people say, you know, well, we, we'll give the church a discount, you know, when they do business with us. And so, you know, that's gonna be our tithe. That's gonna be our offering. Now, again, that's wonderful. That is a great, generous act of kindness. And that definitely helps our church anytime we do business with you guys and you give us a discount. However, that is not your faithful percentage giving. What if we never do business with you? 
What if we don't do it very often? That's not regular. That's not planned. That's not a percentage. And so, so the idea for us is to grow in our understanding, to grow in our maturity, and to, and to begin to act faithfully according to what the Scripture teaches us. 1 Corinthians 16, chapter 2, again, he closes with this, that, that there be no collection when I come. You see, Paul didn't want to show up and then have to take a collection. He didn't want to have to show up and give an emotional appeal. He wanted people to think about it. He wanted people to pray about it. He didn't want people to be sporadic on that day. We've been in this series for four weeks. We've talked about this multiple times throughout the six years of this uh, church. And yet still people haven't given faithfully. And so for us, and, and, and what I believe Paul is saying here is, look, I want you to pray about it. I want you to think it about it. I, I don't want you to be sporadic and unfaithful about it. When we realize that life is beyond you, it's not about you, your giving is regular. It's planned. It's a percentage. You begin to wrap your mind around what Jesus says when he says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. Because you and I, we put our money where our heart is, no doubt about it. Whatever you love, you're investing financially. Now listen, this is a good statement. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You can, you can give without loving. I mean, you can give money and you can invest in certain things without loving it, but you can't love something without giving to it. That's just the reality that we have to accept. Now, the title of the sermon today is, Do You Love Your Church? I hear it all the time, how much people love this place and love this church. And sometimes I look at our financial statement and I just say, you know, what people are saying, what people are doing aren't always, you know, on the same playing field. What would you say, or, or what would you think about a parent who had plenty of money to, to buy their kids back to school uh, supplies, and yet when school starts up, they said, you know what, I'm not wasting my money on pens and pencils and backpacks. The government should do that. Taxes should take care of pencils and paper and that kind of thing. I'm not, I'm not buying any of that stuff for my own kids. What would you say about that parent? Irresponsible, right? Irresponsible parent. What would you say uh, about a father who doesn't pay child support? Bad father. What would you say to a, a father that never gave his kids any money or never spent any money on his kids to buy him things, clothes, and whatnot? And, and only when they were desperate, only when they were starving, you know, okay, we'll get you some bread. You know, you got all your socks have holes in them. All of them have holes in them. Okay, now all of them have holes in them. Now I'll go get you some socks. <laughs> what would you call that dad? A deadbeat father. You'd call that dad a loser, wouldn't you? What do you call a Christian who says, I love my church? I love what they do with my kids. I mean, it's incredible. My kids actually love going to church. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, <clears throat> like they wake us up sometimes to come to church. They get mad when, when Wednesday night doxa is, is canceled. You know, they love coming to church. Now, this is a new experience for me because I hated going to church when I was a kid. Like, my parents had to drag me out of bed. They had to drag me, you know, to church because I, I didn't like it. But, but our kids, man, they love coming to church. And so, you know, when we think about that, I, I love what my church does for my kids. I love that my kids love coming on Wednesday night. I love this church. But I don't have a plan to financially give to the church that I say I love. What do you call those Christians? I call them average because that's what average Christians do. You know, the reality is I don't want you to be average. I don't want you to have a, an average marriage. 
That's why we invest so much in the marriage conference and why I think through illustrations and why I teach on marriage so much. I don't want you to be average dads and average leaders. That's why you know, we do man night. That's why small groups always kind of you know, corral around that concept. We don't want you to be average followers of Jesus. We want you to be mature followers of Jesus. And so that's why everything that we do is kind of wrapped around these concepts of, of, okay, let's do a base camp, let's do a camp two, let's do a camp three to help our people not be average, to help our people experience the joy of giving our life to Jesus Christ and growing in that relationship. I don't want to be average, and some of you are saying that you love your church, but some of you don't have a plan to financially support the church that you say you love. Our business manager did some some. Um, figuring, and he did some percentages, and what, what he discovered based on our attendance and based on uh, what's been given to our church in 2015, he, he discovered that 70% of the people in our church who are attending our church are not giving to our church. So that means that 30% of the people that are attending our church right now are actually giving 100% of the resources. Let that sink in for a second. So not every person is a giver. We, we look at it as a giving unit. You know, if you're married, then, then you guys are considered a giving unit. If you've got kids, those kids aren't considered givers or a giving unit until they're 18. And so we look at all the giving units based on our attendance, based on what's been given. And this is the reality that 70% of the people attending our church aren't regularly giving to our church. Now, now hear me say this. That's, that, that's not like a, an anomaly in our church the sad truth is this is what average churches do. But I never thought about our church as being average. And I never want our church to be average. And so what we want to do is we, we want to think about this for a second. If 30% of our people can do this much for the kingdom of God over the last six years, if we can see all of these hundreds of people baptized, all of this growth that we've experienced, and, and it's all because of 30% of the people. Just imagine what 2016 could look like if the 70% in this room who aren't giving started to give anything. Just imagine the marriages that could be changed, the families that haven't experienced Kid Street, the families that haven't experienced doxa, the students that haven't been touched with the gospel yet, just think of how many more students could be changed and transformed because we started to become wise stewards financially of our resources. Now here are some thoughts. There are some people in the room that you're thinking, well, Foothills Church doesn't need our money. I mean, look at all the cool stuff they got. They got a cool like auditorium and some cool equipment. They got a cool cafe. Everything looks nice. And so they don't, they don't really need our money. And, and you're not the kind of person that's going to give to a church if they really don't need your money. I mean, they come up every week and they say, they say things like, you can take that off the screen. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> don't jump the gun. You say things like, you know what, they don't need our money. And so, so when, when the reality is like, like, you know what, they get up on the stage every week and they say things like, thank you for giving. Thank you for giving. Now, in your mind, you're thinking, I know I'm not giving, but somebody's giving. Well, and I'm glad that they're, they're thanking them for giving. And so the idea is, I'm not giving to a church that doesn't need my money. Now, think about the flip side. Some of you are like, 
you've been to churches that needed your money, right? They needed your money. The building was in bad shape. It kind of had a funky smell. The colors were gross. Like you could tell they needed your money. And then what did you do? You left. (laughs) You left. Because you're not giving your hard-earned money to a dying church that needs your money. And so you, some of you left that church and you came here. So think about it. Now I'm ready for it. I don't want to give to a church that doesn't need my money. And I don't want to attend a church that, that <laughs> I don't want to attend a church that needs my money. What that really means is when you think it out, that you never plan to give to a church that you actually attend. Some of you are just getting that you're like, oh man, what a good point. That is a great stinking point, right? So stay with me here. What am I supposed to do with that? I mean, I could create some artificial crisis, you know, in our church. You know, the electric bill was really big this month and we need you guys to give or we're going to shut her down. Pastor Brant broke another toilet. We need a new toilet. Everybody give. (laughs) You know, we could create some artificial uh, crises in our church. But think about it like this. Do you do business with companies that need your money or that provide awesome goods and services? Think about that. I mean, do you shop at Target because they need your money and that you want to help them stay afloat? Of course not. You shop at Target potentially because you, you like what they have at a price that you like. You like the experience. Why do we go to Disney World? Great experience. Wonderful experience. Great product. So why do you treat Target and Disney World better than you treat God's church? When your marriage begins to fail, are you going to call Mickey? No, you're going to call us, and you should call us. And when you call us, we're not going to put you on hold and check your giving record. Yeah, they're givers. Go ahead and schedule the appointment. (laughs) We're not going to do that. We're going to get you the best help that we can as quickly as we can. When your teenager becomes rebellious, you know, who are you going to call? You're going to call us. You should call the church. We're here to help. I like the story of the chicken who came to the pig and said, why don't we start a new restaurant? And the pig said, sweet, man, I love it. What are we going to serve? And the chicken said, why don't we serve ham and eggs? (laughs) One minute here, brah. (laughs) Like you're giving, you know, a partial commitment and you're asking me for total sacrifice, right? You know what, some of you are fine and dandy with other people making the sacrifice. You're just fine as long as other people are carrying the work because you like to enjoy the product and the ministries of Foothills Church. But you've not made the sacrifice 
and you've not honored God with your resources to join the ministry and to join the work, the reality is we do need your money. We've never been about money. We've never been about property. We've never been about buildings. We've never been about numbers. You've heard me say this before. We've never reported our numbers to anyone in, in, in the sense that we're providing them to somebody to brag or to show how much God or how much we have done. That's been intentional on my part. You know, we reported to Grace when we started. We report to our elders. We show you guys every year where we're at. But we're not like, this is how many people are attending us, our church. If anybody ever tells you that we're about numbers, we're about money, we're about buildings, let me just give you a little hint here. You're hearing the very whispers of the enemy. That is not what our church and our staff prays about, cares about, thinks about. We care about making disciples. And sometimes making disciples means that we need some empty seats. Take a look around. How does it feel in here with the elbow room today? See, the reality is we need some empty seats in the room. And even when we have three services, this hour and the third service hour are pretty tight. And I just imagine all the people in this community that would come if there was more room. I just imagine all the, 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 the people's lives that could be transformed if we as a church would connect with our Heavenly Father today come up with a plan to give and the 70% of the people in this room not giving would start giving and then we could take the next step and we could follow God's plan. We could create more space and more people would come. That's our vision. That's what we know will happen. Can you guys show that first picture here? <clears throat> Anybody remember when this place was Thunderworld? How many of you guys came here when it was Thunderworld? So, so yeah, a lot of you guys. You know, the reality is <clears throat> there was a group of people that cared about numbers, that cared about making disciples. They cared about building campaigns. They cared about brick and mortar. And there was about 130 people meeting at Maryville Christian School. And this building became available. And we said, you know what? I think God is calling us to this place and he wants us to make this our home. And those 130 people made that commitment and gave financially. Now listen, 130 people, that means kids, teenagers, and spouses. So the reality is about 35 giving units said $2 million, we can, we can do that. That's not a bad deal. We can trust God for that. And we took that step of faith. And three years later, that 130 people has become over a thousand people. Just imagine if these 1,000 to 1,100 people today caught a vision for the future that God has for this community. Because they, they weren't about buildings either. They weren't about property either. They had a vision for what could be and what should be in this city. They wanted to create something that hadn't been created. 
They wanted to be a part of something that hadn't been done. They wanted something for their children and their grandchildren to have when they got older. They didn't want to experience what some of you experienced and thought, man, the church is outdated. The church is dying. They wanted a church that would be here and would grow and would make disciples. Can you show the next picture? This is the property next door. This is where we're going. This is the open door that God has given to us. Now, it's not very pretty, and there's a lot of junk over there. (laughs) But just imagine what God could do with the people at this church if we got a plan. It could look a little bit like this. Take a look at that next picture. This is the current building. This is where the new building will go. This is where open seats exist. This is future growth. This is future life change. This is the Great Commission in action. This represents thousands of people's lives, not just your life. We're talking about generations of people's lives that will be changed. If you and I begin today to give what God has asked us to give. Show a picture of this next picture. This is Grace Baptist Church. Sorry. This is the older sanctuary. They've since built a new auditorium. But this is the building that I gave my life to Jesus in. This is the building. that I learned about the Bible. This is the building that God broke me spiritually and I committed and I surrendered to full-time ministry. This is the building that existed almost 40 years ago. When I was in middle school and my dad was in Ohio, we lived there and they called my dad to come and be the pastor. This was the building. So much happened in that room right there. They were running about 800 people. This was late 1999, 2000, I can't remember exactly. And they decided that the Lord was leading them to build an auditorium. They were running about 800 people, less than us. And they built that auditorium. In less than two years, they were running 2,000. Hundreds of lives changed, hundreds of baptisms, hundreds of salvations. A school came later that is changing hundreds of people's lives. So much has been done there. This building became the student building. And so they called me, um, you know, six years ago, gosh, that was 14, 15 years ago, 14 years ago, to be the student pastor. And so when I went back to the church, this was the room that I led the student ministry. And so in that room, I led hundreds of kids to Christ over those seven years. 30 plus of those kids over those seven years are now serving in full-time ministry. Life transformation happened for me in that room. That's why I get emotional. When I take the time to think about what God has done, just in this one place, 
It's a very precious place for me. And so I share this because I am so stinking happy and glad that there was a group of people that decided that first off, that community needed a church over 100, well, right at 100 years ago. This is their 100th year anniversary. And I'm so glad that there was a group of people that cared about brick, that cared about mortar, that cared about building buildings because they built that building, my life was changed. And I'm so thankful that God led people to be financial stewards in their life to provide something like that for somebody like me that they had never met. And little did they know the thousands of lives that would have been transformed and have been transformed because they built that building. So forgive me when I am mortified and blown away when I hear people say the church is just about money. The church is just about buildings. That blows me away. You see, today I'm asking you to commit to a plan. And if you're not willing to commit to a plan, then if we don't see the 70% of the people in this church begin to give, here's what my family is gonna do. I'm gonna continue to preach my guts out every single Sunday, three times. I'm gonna continue to lead a staff to be focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. My family is gonna give more than 10% because we love this place. And my money goes to the things that I love. And I love this church. And I love this city. So if you don't give, if you don't change a single thing, my staff is going to continue to disciple your children. They're going to continue to reach campuses for Jesus Christ. We're going to continue to build marriages. We're going to continue to work 40 and 50 hours plus to put into the lives and the ministries of this church because we love it. And so now I want to ask you guys, what are you going to do? I want to ask you guys to go ahead and take the cards that's, that's in your chair. They look like this. And you'll see there's just a few things to fill out. And I would encourage you to go ahead and begin to fill that out if you haven't already. Name, address, email. And on the back, there are four statements. The first statement is I commit to start giving 10% of my income. The next is I'm currently giving a tithe or 10% of my income. I plan to give over and above 10% and give to invest to help build a new auditorium for the kingdom of God for my family and future generations. So some of you, maybe you've been given, but you've not been given over and above and you've never given to invest. And so we, we encourage you to begin to give towards that. And then finally, I'm gonna attend... Financial Peace University, because I would love to know how many of you are going to commit to attend that as well. And so that's the, that's, the, that's the challenge. So as you're filling that out, let me just close with this. I know that there are, are, there's a group of people in here that have been faithful. And to you, you're like the little boy who brought the, the, you know, the few fish and the few loaves of bread to Jesus and, and fed you know, 5,000 people. Because what you have given over the last year and the last six years, for those of you that have been here uh, that long, it is truly a miracle to see what God 
has done through your gift. And you are blessed as a result. You have been a good manager. And if your conscience is clear on what you have given, I say thank you for that. And I encourage you to fill out this card and let us know what you're gonna continue to do. Some of you have not been faithful. For those of you that have not been faithful, you're takers, not givers. My challenge for you is to repent of your sin today and to commit to begin to give. It's not that God wants your money, but your money is the way that God changes your heart and redirects your life and he redirects your priorities. And God wants all of you, not just part of you. And so we would invite you to begin this challenge. To new Christians in the room, um, I know you're, many people are new Christians. You're figuring it out. You're glad, I mean, we're glad you're here. We wanna be faithful to you. We wanna be understanding. And we also wanna challenge you and help you understand that this is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we ask you to experience the joy that Jesus provides through giving and begin by taking this challenge. Some of you are in the room and you're not a Christian. And I'm not asking you to fill out this card and to turn this in today. I'm asking you to turn from your sins and to turn to Jesus and realize that he is the only way that you will ever experience forgiveness, that you will ever experience eternal life. And it's through his sacrifice that your relationship with God is restored. Would you receive him today as your Lord and as your Savior? I've asked the band to close us in a song today, a powerful song you might not have heard before, but it's gonna be a song that we sing over the next few weeks because I absolutely stink and love it. And as they sing it and as they lead us, um, they're gonna get ready now. And as they do that, you're gonna continue to fill out your card. And uh, after I pray, I'm gonna ask you to bring that card and lay it right here on the stage, all across this stage right here as an offering and as a symbol of God that you're gonna make this commitment and this is real and you can lay it down and you can sit, spend a few moments here praying and asking for God's you know, blessing and asking for God's faithfulness in this. And I encourage you to do that. But whatever your decision is, we're gonna ask you to do that. We're gonna ask you to respond by coming forward today. And next Sunday, will be the first time that we begin to give towards this commitment. So if you're gonna give to invest, if you're planning on giving, you know, at all, next Sunday will be the first time that you actually do this. So let me pray and we will get ourselves ready to respond to God's word today. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would find this church to be faithful. We want to follow you, we want to trust you God, we want to honor you in every area of our life. And so, Lord, as we make these commitments, as there are people in the room who have never done this, Lord, I pray that you would give them faith. Lord, you would give them boldness. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would shine your favor upon this church and continue to open up doors of opportunity and doors of ministry that we may make disciples and serve you faithfully all the days of the existence of this church until you return. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.